This Week in Sparkling Water, episode 91. My name is Iwaki Max, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. I just pressed record. I'm definitely forgetting something about something I need to do before I press record. But I can't think of it right now, so whatever. I, you know, I, my instinct when it comes to the first 10 seconds of an episode and like, is it going to be a good episode or not? What I, my gut feeling 10 seconds in is I'm getting really good at this, at knowing real early on if it's going to be a good episode or not. And I don't have a good feeling about this episode. I don't have a good feeling about it. I, you know... Sometimes it's a banger and sometimes it's just boring pillow stuffing. Like just polyester throw pillow stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't have anything to talk about today. Really, I don't have anything to talk about today. But, um, we're just going to do it anyway. I, I did, <laughs> I did print one thing with two words on it, um, which is the thing I'm going to talk about last. God, I went to print just now, and I'm talking about like 25 seconds ago. I press print, and then it says printer offline, and then I have to go over there, and I realize it's fucking off. My printer is off, so I like plug it in. What's more frustrating than the following thing? What's more frustrating than having a printer? First of all, why is everything in technology developing at a breakneck speed? We're just rip-roaring through all these iterations of technology. But when it comes to printers, printers are still a headache. Like, why is it that printers still just get disconnected? Like, you want to... Anyway, <clears throat> very, very boring take, but there you go. I refuse to not give you that take, though. But what's more frustrating than having a printer and then having the printer be like, that there's, you go to print something and the printer, there's a problem with it. You need to like change the ink or you need to like ref, refill the paper or the paper is in a little bit sideways. So you got to go in there and straighten out the paper. Or like just now, 45 seconds ago, is this even recording? Wave, audio waveform is looking good. 45 seconds ago, the printer wasn't even plugged in. Javi fucking unplugged my printer. So I plug it in. What's more frustrating when, than when you try to be really good about it, you try to save paper and you try to save ink and you try to save money for the environment and for yourself. And then when you go to fix the printer and you're real careful about it because you don't want to waste any ink, you don't want to waste anything. And then, <laughs> and then when you fix it, it just like comes alive. And then there's like this backlog of print jobs that were sent through that didn't go through because there was a problem with the printer. So now that you've fixed the printer, you have to stand here and just watch the printer like work through four different print jobs of shit that's the people don't even need anymore. Stuff from weeks ago. Oh, devastating. What's more frustrating than that? So yeah, I just had that experience. I plugged it in and then it comes alive and then it it starts printing these print jobs from last week. Literally a quote for the episode last week where I was going to quote some lady from some Swedish lady talking about not feeding her guests and why that's why that's actually better. 
but it didn't print, so I didn't say it. <clears throat> Here's the thing. The same thing happened to me at work yesterday. We needed more menus. We print the menus on this beautiful sort of off-white, really sort of natural, off-brown, cardstock, thick, crisp paper. Now, this paper is expensive, I'll tell you. I'm sure it's a dollar a, dollar a piece. And I'm real nervous about it because I'm junior. You know, I'm the most junior person allowed to print anything, so I, I really want to do it perfect. So when I print something, I always just print one to make sure that it's good, and then I'll print 20, you know? But so I go to print. I go to print, and I'm like, so... I, like, call people in to proofread my shit, so it's all perfect because I need it to be really perfect, and I don't, I don't want to waste a single piece of paper. And then what was the problem? I might just be that the, it was out of paper, but so I put a bunch of paper in there, and then I... um I go to print my one page and then the printer comes alive and it just starts shooting out like 40, 40 shit menus that are completely not current. That's just an old print job that was just chilling in the, in the inter ether, you know, chilling in the tubes of the, you know, the fucking downstairs tubes of the internet, the plumbing, the clogged up plumbing of the internet. Yeah, wasted $400 of printer paper right there. Expensive cardstock. And then at the end of wasting 400, paper, 400 pages, my, my one sample thing came out and it's like, yep, looks good, okay. I'll print 15 more, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what it feels like, huh? Caring about the environment. Caring about the environment is a constant experience of having a really, really, really little space that you have power over and doing like a really, really, really little action in your little space and trying not to look up, trying not to raise your gaze onto the larger world where bigger animals with bigger spaces and bigger actions do horrible things and destroy everything. And it's just, an, it's a constant exercise of not getting discouraged. Because that is the goal. The goal, is, and this goes for everything, like you cannot look at the big stuff and how things are not going well for the big stuff and to them, you cannot then take a nihilist lesson from that and just be like, okay, so it's okay for me to treat everyone like shit. This is the lesson we must not learn, you know? You gotta just be good about stuff. God damn it. God damn it, it's hard. God damn it, it's hard. Like, do you know a single man with power who... Yeah, let's not even finish that sentence. You know what I'm saying? Printers, though. Hmm. Can't live with them. Yeah. The two, what, what so I, <laughs> I printed a piece of paper and the, the two words on the top are emotionally flat. 
It's like I feel completely emotionally flat, and I had to print a piece of paper to remind myself to talk about how I feel completely emotionally flat. I feel completely emotionally flat, y'all. As if I took a bunch of MDMA last night, and it just created a little bit of a peak, and then now I'm living through a little bit of a trough. But I didn't I didn't do an MDMA yesterday. I, 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 I'm, I'm good. You know, I got my three day, three years of, I keep saying three years of sobriety. I do not have three years of sobriety. I have almost three years of sobriety. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it's actually less than a month until my three year. Hmm. That's going to be a period of deep reflection and stuff. I went to an AA meeting just now, and I was actually thinking about becoming a secretary of an AA meeting for the first time. But anyway, I'm emotionally flat because I've been working more. I worked more than normal this week um, because Doug, famous from six episodes ago, this week in Doug Huntington, Doug is on vacation this week. So I was covering for Doug. So I was scheduled to be the closing manager four days out of five. And then I realized that on the f- day five when I was going to not do it, London was going to do it. But I realized that she was the opener and the closer and blah, blah, blah. So I volunteered to do it. So I did it. But the whole experience of me being emotionally flat, it's it's me asking myself, am I just a little bitch here? Like, why is it that I feel the need to complain so much when other people work so much more? And one of my big lessons in life in the most recent years of my life, in my 30s, one of the big things I've been thinking about in my 30s is how I think it's fair to say that I'm a kind of a low-functioning person, and I think what I need to do is I need to just be okay with that. Like comparing myself to people, C-suite people, you know, Fortune 500 gigahertz C-suite people that that sleep four hours a night and then they just go and they just commandeer people all day. They're just different than me. And there's no amount of willpower that can turn me, who I am, into one of those people because I need about eight hours and 45 minutes of sleep every single night. Last night I got seven and a half and I feel like dizzy, dizzy. I have vertigo right now because I only got seven and a half hours of sleep. Because I've been getting nine hours every day for months, you know? It's the only way I can do anything. But so then I'm like, all these other people, like, I don't know. I could give you about 45 specific examples of people whose name I I know the name of a person and they don't sleep as much as me. Josh Bosch, you know? And what is that? Is Is it... I don't know. All throughout my 20s, I thought it was just willpower. I thought I just, I was being a bitch and I thought I just needed to do more willpower and then I could be one of these people. Or you get used to it, is this other idea. But none of that ever panned out for me. I just, I had an office job. I would, I would 
not be sleepy at the right time and I would fall asleep at 1 a.m. and I would have to wake up at 7.30 and it would be suicidal ideation, you know, on the daily throughout my 20s. God, I'm feeling so self-aware for this episode. I'm going to just come out and say it and be like, so um, I think it was on Sunday night. On Sunday night, I'm working and it's real quiet and um, chef's wife and chef's brother and chef's parents came in and <laughs> it's so interesting because what I <laughs> because I have a way of doing the podcast and the podcast is overly candid and overly honest and over it's just oversharing is what it is so I'm out here now about to talk about these people in this complete oversharing, just sharing my inner di- monologue, inner dialogue. Inner, is it inner dialogue or inner monologue? Inner log. <clears throat> I'm out here sharing captain's log, you know. But the whole point of what I'm saying is that blah, blah, blah. I served them a, a bottle of Topo Chico because chef's wife asked for a bottle of Topo Chico. And then it was slow. So chef just came out and just sat down. It was just Zach on table 30, you know. And then um, he br- he brought it up. He was like, "So, so, so you review sparkling waters? What do you think about Topo Chico?" And then everyone was like, "You you review sparkling waters?" And then I did this funny thing where I'm like, "Oh yeah, I have this like super niche podcast. I'm such an idiot." Um, and it turned into a thing where they were going to listen to the podcast. So I feel extremely self aware because. Normally, I get I I I get myself into this headspace of feeling like I am truly alone and no one is going to listen to this. And that's, I think, I just have to make the choice to be in that headspace. So, what I was going to say first of all, Chef's wife is so fucking cool. She has this really fucking cool energy, and she's like really pretty and really smart. Yeah. Which is like a weird thing to say out loud, but um, that's the, that's how I have to talk on the podcast. Otherwise, all is lost, you know? Otherwise, otherwise nothing matters anymore. But so, yeah. <clears throat> um, let me go back to what I was saying. I... Um, I'm, I've been feeling completely emotionally flat. Like I couldn't... Now I feel disintegration completely because I don't know which of these topics to finish up. But part of it is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I was at work until 2 a.m. And I think that's something people will respect, though. That like 2 a.m. is different. Like working, even if it is a 10-hour shift, even if it's an 8-hour shift, if your shift ends at 2 a.m. and you do that three days in a row, that's a little bit part of a lifestyle that's going to have you be fried a little bit more. I think that's something people understand. But here's the point. I only worked 40 hours this week. 
I, <laughs> I never, I never even check how many hours I work because it's like it never sounds impressive because I usually just work like 33 hours and then I'm exhausted at the end. But this week I actually did the math and I took out a calculator and I like added it all up and I worked exactly 40.1 hours, which doesn't sound like a lot at all. And then I'm out here like staring up at the ceiling like nothing matters. I'm completely dead on the inside. I was trying to engage with pieces of entertainment and my heart was just like, all I could think about was that line from that Phoebe Bridger song, the most Phoebe, most, the most Phoebe Bridger song. No, the most famous Phoebe Bridger song is the song Motion Sickness. It's one of her singles where she talks about her abusive ex and she goes, I faked it every time, but that's all right. Because I can hardly feel anything. I hardly feel anything anymore. And it's so nice. Because it's like... We are living through an era of... I think if there's anything we can say about this era, looking back on it and everything... I think one of the few adjectives we, because we have all these self assessments every fucking, every two days of what this decade is all about. But I think one of the true, true things that will remain true when we assess this decade and the previous decade and everything is just that we're fucking jaded and we don't feel anything anymore. It's just nothing. Like it was just too much. There's an overloaded sense to all of it. And you can blame social media, and you can blame Donald Trump, and you can blame being connected to everything and having the internet presenting you with everything all of the time and having the algorithm always wanting to have us get the biggest emotional response for us. So the algorithm loves to show us a picture of a nine-year-old that died. And it's like extremely unnatural for a human being to constantly be presented with the idea of a nine-year-old. A nine-year-old just died. It's like wherever you turn, it's like a nine-year-old just died. And it's like the only thing your mind can do is to feel nothing. And then, but here's what I really wanted to talk about, where I, I really think that there's, it's a, there's a difference between doing a job where you're allowed to feel whatever, and you just, you do manual labor, for example, like construction. Like if you work construction and you work 50 hours, you might be so physically tired at the end, but your mind is kind of chilling. Or, you know, in my context, if you work as a line cook, I really wonder what the difference is emotionally. Like, you work as a line cook and you, you work 50 hours, or if you work as a server and you do 40 hours, it's like there's something so fucking emotionally draining about being a server, and it's so fucking hard to explain. Because you have this situation where you, you're standing around, and then people walk in and sit down. And you get a group of four people and then sit at a table and you have to walk up there. And if you're like me and you're really focused on doing a good job, what it is is this. 
Sorry, just had to check that we're still recording. It's like you walk up there and you have to figure out what their deal is, you know? Are they people in their 60s, like upper middle class white people in their 60s who have a lot of money who just want a truly good experience and you want a little bit of a joke, but mostly they want hand-holding and they want you to do the job for them of picking what they want and matching them with something really, really excellent. And it can be an expensive bottle of wine or it can be like a really, really good steak. Like <clears throat> a lot of fucking restaurants will just have an expensive thing on the menu and it's not the best and, and whatever. And, and they just want you to really pair them, match them with – they want to throw out a couple of adjectives of who they are. And then they want you to match them with what it is. And then they want you to be funny and smart and quippy in between. Or maybe there are people in their 20s who are not really used to going to a fine dining place. And with those people, you really have to reach in there and be personable and be really – and make the whole thing less scary. Because a lot of people in a fine dining experience will feel like they are really – like they don't fit in. And you have to really look them in the eye and be like, nah, bro, we're all just people here. It's all good, bro. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Like, what you have here is, yes, it's a little bit more expensive than you're used to, but really what it is, it's just that it's going to be better than what you're used to. But the people stuff, we're not here to humiliate you. And you have to just really put your hand on their shoulder without putting your hand on their shoulder. Oh, my God, that really reminds me of Samuel Pirella, my friend from... Where was Sam from? Wow. So racist. Uh, was he from? No, he wasn't from Colombia. He was from Venezuela. Oh my God, Jesus Christ! I dodged it. Ooh, because my mind really wanted to say El Salvador, which is like four countries off of Venezuela. Oh my God, dodged big racism right there. Sam from Venezuela had this like different um, personal space interpretation for because he's a true South American. Um. And he would touch guests. He was a server in at uh, Babar in in Seattle with me. And he would touch guests on the shoulder, actually, physically, not just emotionally, all the time. And then he did that all the time and all the time until one day. <laughs> he did it to some lady. He did it to some lady and he did it all night. So he was just like, oh, blah, blah, I have a, I have a big South American accent, blah, blah, blah. And some lady in, in her 40s, he just like puts her hand on her shoulder and he's nodding and he's all warm about it and he's all nice. And he's like, yeah, I'll get you that. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. And then he walks off. And then the next day she calls the restaurant. She asks to talk to a manager. <laughs> and she's like, dude, he touched me on the shoulder. And she was so fucking upset. And Sam was suspended for four days. And then he never touched anyone on the shoulder again. But it was such a profound muscle memory thing that if you ever looked at him, you could just stand around and look at him go from table to table. You could see his hand moving towards shoulders and then he caught himself every time before he got all the way to the shoulder. So he got this like very handsome kind of short, sometimes out of shape, sometimes in shape, Venezuelan man talking to people with his hand just being constantly in a state of traveling towards or away from someone's shoulder, but never quite reaching the shoulder. Because, hey, if you touch the shoulder, you get suspended for four days, bro. So fucking funny. 
because you can't be touching people physically. I, what I learned from it actually is that it worked very well 90% of the time, but you can't be doing it all the time because then if you just do it indiscriminately, someone's going to call the restaurant and you're going to get um, suspended. But me, what I learned from it is that it's not actually, weirdly my takeaway was that it's not actually that bad of a move. And I will, every four days, I'll just be like, hey, I'll just pat someone on the shoulder as I'm like saying something reassuring to them. And it's the one time, it's the time when I, like, it's the concept of a breaking of style. Like sometimes the exception to the rule is still, is what makes it powerful. Like there's this other rule in restaurants that you're not supposed to point with a finger. You always have to point with an open hand. And it's the same thing where it's like you do that and people see me do everything properly. And then you have like a proper like captain of industry, 60-year-old man who's had this big experience in the restaurant. And I've I've held his hand along for this big thing. And then as he walks out, he walks up to me and he really looks me in the eye and he says that he was awesome and everything. And then I'll fucking take my index finger out and I'll point to him and I'll say, I point him in the eye, point him right in the face, break of style and say, thank you. I really fucking appreciate that you said that. And then there's this deep sense of the gravity shifting a little bit because for the first time I'm actually breaking the rules here. And he's like, okay, it's okay. He broke... There's something where there's an extra level of intimacy when when you know that they know. When everyone knows that everyone knows what the rules are. And then you break the rules for someone. And you fucking, you fucking point them right in their face for emphasis. And you say, you're fucking awesome. And that man, that finger is, that finger is aggressive, you know? Or you touch someone on the shoulder and you say, I really appreciate that you said that, sir. Yeah. You got to keep it to once every four days, though. You know, we got to color in, if we, if we aren't mostly coloring inside of the lines, then 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 it doesn't have that great sense of emphasis when we when we do color outside of the lines <clears throat> but so what i was talking about is like you have this thing when you're a server that different people sit down you know and and you have to go up and you have to figure out what their frequency is and then you have to jump on their frequency you have to start out with open ended questions just to get some data from them just to get some emotional data on what their frequency is. And then you have to hop on their frequency. You know? Flirty women who are a couple of years older than me. Man, who's flirtier than a 39-year-old? Because 39-year-old women today are not the same as 39-year-old women 20 years ago. Like 39-year-old women 20 years ago were so stiff. And they had had these harrowing experiences and they were so grown up. They were grown-ups. They had kids and they were grown-ups. And then 39-year-old weekend, weekend, 39-year-old women today are not grown-ups and they don't have kids and they, they, yeah, I mean, they're just the most ironic people. Self-deprecating, weird, like they have nerdy tendencies they're so like 39 year old women today are some of the most surprising people 
And then, you know, they might want to get flirty. They might want to get flirty in that sort of, man. God, I wish I could. God, I wish I could talk about whatever I wanted to on the podcast, but sometimes, sometimes we got to not. Sometimes I I really got to get a Patreon only monthly episode going. But so what I'm saying is that there's something about trying to do a really good job and trying to really get on people's frequency and try to really be entertaining for all the, for a great variety of people. There's something about that that's so fucking emotionally draining. Like it's so draining and it's so socially draining. Like at the end of it, socially, you just want to go, you just want to bury your face in your hands and you just feel like, I have been so many people today. And it's this sense of complete disintegration. Because once you have five tables and you've figured out everyone's frequency, checking in with all five is an act of jumping between five different pers- personas. For some reason at work, the last two weeks, everyone's been talking about fursonas, which is when you're a furry and you have a specific persona for your furry personality, which always reminds me of Julie Kennedy and how Julie Kennedy has a brother who is um, famous in the furry world. And at the furry cons, he always has a panel. Fascinating. And if you don't know what a furry is, maybe Google it, you know. But so I worked three and then four very long days. And after the fourth one, I had so, I felt so anxious. I'm home at midnight and my heart is just racing and I'm meditating and I'm realizing that there's literally nothing to be anxious about. Like it's one of these origin-less feelings of anxiety where my mind the whole time is trying to be like, did I have a bad interaction with my boss? Is that why I'm anxious? But the whole time, rationally, I know that there's literally nothing to be anxious about. And I just sit there and I'm super anxious at midnight. And I just, I know that it is actually just because I'm socially exhausted from working 10-hour shifts as a server. And then I did a fifth shift and I came home and I just felt like, after the fourth shift, I, I had enough AA sobriety tools to know that this is about to go really fucking pear-shaped and I'm about to stay up until 8 a.m. just being anxious, just being on YouTube, that I had, I actually hit a I just did a tiny half a little thing in NyQuil just to knock myself out because I just knew that it's like, if I at least just get a good night of sleep and force myself down even though I'm so anxious and I won't be able to sleep if I don't, if I don't do a, a, a half a helping of NyQuil, this will be a fucking train wreck. So I had enough self-insight to know that I got I to gotta just force myself down here. I got to just lock horns with the devil. <clears throat> and then I did one more day and it was like, ugh. I'm going to be honest also, actually. The other thing that... That it's like, ugh, I wish I could just talk about this completely openly, but I'll talk about it half openly and say that 
the other thing after day four that my mind really was telling me that I was anxious about, as if it was a real reason to be anxious about, is that I'm training this other guy at work to also do my job and that I'm emotionally, because I'm drained, because I'm a small person, I just feel really small, emotionally small and emotionally greedy. I just feel threatened by him. I just feel threatened by him. And I shouldn't be, and it's like we're a team and everyone should just be... We just should be cooperating and we should just be looking forward. We should be looking forward and we should be looking, looking to opportunities and how we can improve. And looking like, because ultimately a feeling of feeling threatened is that your mind is looking for a way to tear someone else down. That is what it is to feel threatened. Like when you feel threatened by a coworker, you are looking for and relishing in any opportunity or thing that you see where it's not going well for them or where you could tell, tear them down. And that isn't where you want to be. It's just not. And that's where I was. And I had to go home and I had to sit and I had to meditate and I had to be like, James is a good guy, bro. James is a good guy and James and me are on the same team. And I cannot let my alcoholic thinking be small-minded because he hasn't done anything wrong. And I haven't done anything wrong either because I haven't acted upon any of these. All it is is that after work, I'll be really anxious and my mind will be like, should I feel threatened? Should I feel threatened? It's not like I'm acting threatened. I think. Maybe I am acting threatened. Yeah. And then it's like you find a couple of things where the person you feel threatened by is not doing good and you're like, ah, and you relax into that feeling. And boy, are you a little man. Boy, are you a little man when you relax into the feeling of the failure of fellow man, you know? God. But I forced myself not to sit with that too much and instead I took some NyQuil and I slept nine hours and I woke up and I felt emotionally flat and I felt small, but I felt like a wonderful little man. And that's where I'm at now too. I just feel like a wonderful little man. I feel so fucking small right now, but I feel good. I have the smallest, smallest little heart that can only house the tiniest, tiniest of little emotions. But if I take out my little microscope, my little uh, magnifying glass, and I hold it up to my tiny little heart, and I look at what, what's in that tiny little heart, if I peek through the ventricle, what I do see is it's a good little feeling. I mean, there's just terror behind it, but, but it's a good little feeling. Or it's more like the little heart exists in a world of fear and terror. But at least we do have that little heart with that little good feeling in it. And you know what? Fuck, man. Maybe that's all we got. I don't know. I'm reminded of my, my old friend Max Loring. Max Loring and Sam and me, we the three of us, we were the fucking... The three musketeers over there at Babar in Seattle, and, and <clears throat> we were rip-roaring through that place. But the thing about Max is he had this extremely unique thing where he 
gamed the system. He, fit, he, he went to school to be a teacher. And he, he was a history buff and he loved history. And he wanted to go to school and, and just be a sixth grade history teacher or a high school history teacher or do whatever like that. But then in all of his travels, he realized that for some reason in America, and we don't know the answer to this question, and there's no good answer to it. But for some reason in America, servers are hella fucking overpaid. Being a fucking waitress, you make bank. Per hour, at least. And the thing about it is you can only do it for a certain number of hours because it is emotionally draining and it is physically draining because you walk about 12,000 steps in six hours and you have to get on people's fucking frequency if you aim to do a good job. But Max Loring, he just gamed the system and he's the... I don't know that I've ever known a server who ever made more money than him. And I say that because... People usually don't talk about how much money they made, but Max Loring, the second time he, honestly, with me, <laughs> because, because we became fast friends, he told me the first time I met him. The first time I met him, he was like, I made $120,000 last year. And the, re, the way he did that is that he got multiple restaurant jobs and he just fucking, he was like a, a fucking soot-covered face coal mine, you know, hatchet, pickaxe, manual labor, worker, worker, but a server. Like he treated it as this like just this devastating, backbreaking work that you can do for 11 hours a day if you fucking push yourself. And you have to not care too much. One of the keys for him was that you have to just not care too much. And he didn't worry too much about jumping on everyone's frequency. And he enjoyed it. But also, the most important thing here is he was the consummate American. And the thing about an American is Americans are extroverts. It is just sort of hammered into them from a very young age. Like in Sweden, if 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 you're in third grade and someone is like, Yeah, you gotta you gotta go up front now and go and talk in front of the class and you don't wanna, we treat that like fucking consent in the bedroom, bro. Like no one is ever going to force you to go up and talk in front of people if you don't wanna. Like we consent, bro. You gotta consent. And so you can go you can go 12 grades of schooling and never talk in front of more than two people. And in America, it's just like, they just, I don't know. They just hammer it out of you and, and they just force you to learn how to do public speaking and they draw out that little bit of public speaking that anyone can do and they draw out whatever extroverted element you have American society more than any society honestly bro I mean bro Americans are so fucking extroverted and then when you hit someone that just is the consummate American like Max Loring he would just do a six hour shift at one restaurant and then he shows up at Babar and we all show up at 4.30 and we all clock in and it's like we just let it rip until the, the very end. And he's just smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and 
And he's just making 120 grand a year, you know? Doubles every day. And I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I could make that money if I didn't need so much sleep, but I do. But, um, yeah, it's a question. I really wonder about the question of, like, is the reason I feel so tired and so emotionally flat and so, like, I need so much sleep, is it just that, should I just, is it just willpower? I don't know. There's, like, nothing left of me right now. Uh, and the interesting thing, too, is, like, <clears throat> um... Being a bartender is almost worse than being a server because with a server, as a server, you can figure out which tables you, you kind of vibe with easier and you can just hang out, hang out there a little bit longer if they enjoy you. And then when there's tables that you just don't vibe with as well, you can just leave. But as a bartender, you're there, bro. You're standing right there. You have no, you can't go anywhere. And anyone in America can sit down in front of you. And it's what AOC always talks about. It's what Ocasio-Cortez talks about, that the reason she could be a politician and the reason she could knock doors and just campaign for herself is because she used to be a bartender. And honestly, I think she was probably a bartender for like three years or something casual like that. But it's draining. And Max Loring, he, he was a bartender and he was a server and he didn't give a fuck and he did both of them. And the crazy thing is that he would do it and then he would go home and he would play video games, always. He always played video games. But what he would do when I met him, sort of inspired by him getting on the, my podcast a couple of times, is that he started Twitch streaming, which is more of the same. It's more of being an extrovert. It's like you work five hours a morning shift at one restaurant, and then you go and you do a, a six-hour shift at another restaurant, and then you go home and you play video games and you turn on a camera and an, a microphone, and you Twitch live stream yourself playing fucking Valorant or some bullshit, and you're just on you know, you're on stage and you're there and your mind is still doing that exact same thing of just like trying to please people and trying to think of something funny and trying to perform and trying to just exist in the gaze of the crowd. <clears throat> and I mean, I'm a Swede. Six hours of that and I am just like, I experience it as multiple atmospheric pressures. You know, like a regular atmosphere, just walking around on earth, you, you're you living in the pressure of one atmosphere. And then if you go down like 50 feet underwater, there's this pressure on your entire body and it's the pressure of like, I don't know, 20 atmospheres or whatever. That's what it feels like, you know? It's just that pressure. And it's some fucking part of your brain that just gets... It's just existing under pressure the whole time. Oh, God, I hate this episode of the podcast. Anyway, so let's do a water. Um, this episode, we're doing four waters because I always do four waters when I don't feel good about myself and when I need to have the water as a crutch and when I feel like I have nothing to talk about. But I did talk for 40 minutes without doing the water. But So we're doing strawberry, watermelon, kiwi, different combinations of it. Signature select. 
We're starting with Signature Select Strawberry Watermelon. Strawberry Watermelon. That's actually wonderful. Mmm. Oh my god. I'm so surprised. I think uh, watermelon is underrated. Because watermelon... People don't talk about watermelon, but like... GT's kombucha, for example, the best one is watermelon. It's it's just like, I think it's probably just 50% watermelon juice. I think it's not even that much kombucha in there. I think it's just hella watermelon juice. And then you tart up the watermelon juice with kombucha, but not too much. Because kombucha can, kombucha can easily turn into this thing that's like clearly not for everyone. And this is a little bit the same because the thing about strawberries, strawberries tart as fuck. The reason strawberry is wonderful with like sweet ice cream and stuff is because strawberries themselves aren't actually that sweet. Strawberry watermelon signature select. Yeah, that's very nice. That's an 8 out of 10, bro. Yeah. Max Loring, he always called me the world's most average server, and I always heard it as an as an uh, as a compliment. You know why? Because it was. Oh, because there's this broy American roasting thing that I've always wanted to be part of, and Max Loring is the closest I ever got to getting into a space where you're bros and you're just roasting each other the whole time and it actually feels good. For some reason, I never got there with Ivan and the boys. With Ivan and the boys, we tried to do roasting and stuff and I just, I always felt bad. It's interesting. For some reason, I'm, I'm, um, my mind is suggesting to me now that maybe it's because with Ivan and the boys, everyone called me Joey, and I was this character that no one knew who I was, which is how I feel when people call me Joey. Like, from different points in my life, people called me Joey, and when they call me Joey, I feel like they have no idea who the fuck they're talking to, because they think I'm someone completely different. And then when they're roasting me, it feels like this person far away saying mean things, which is, like, not nice. It's not nice when someone's standing across the street saying mean things to you. But if you're writing someone's face and you're hugging and you're smiling and you say mean things to each other, it's nice. And that's also part of the truly extra, like we do not do that in, in, we do not do that in Sweden. Maybe we do it in China. I don't know. I remember this one time, like when I worked for Human International, I was a personal assistant and I traveled along with this Chinese woman and she didn't speak a lick of English and she had me there partly to carry her bag and partly to pour tea for her at midnight when she was playing cards and partly um, to teach her English and partly to drink for her because she didn't like drinking, but it was an alcohol company. So whenever someone poured a shot, she like was like, I'll have the foreigner drink it. He'll 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 stand in my place. And everyone was like, Oh damn, that's a cool move, having a foreigner drink for you. And because my Chinese wasn't good yet, I didn't have I didn't speak Chinese yet. 
I, I hadn't gone to, this was before doing fucking three years of just getting a full-on bachelor in Chinese. My Chinese was shit. So I couldn't communicate with her very well. And I traveled around with her for months and we just didn't communicate a lot. And I remember feeling like, like there was a couple of people at the company that could speak a little bit of English. I remember the whole time feeling like, I don't know if this is going well. Like, I don't know if she thinks I'm doing a good job. I don't know if she likes me. And then I remember this one time we were getting wasted and it was like 11 p.m. And she looked at me and she called me a wang ba dan. And it means a bastard. And she smiled and she called me a wang ba dan. And she's like, Doi, you're a real fucking Wang Badan, is what she told me in Chinese. And I remember understanding it, but I didn't know what a Wang Badan was, but I looked it up and it, it meant bastard. And then someone looked at me and, she, and were like, yeah, she just called you a bastard. And then they looked at me and was like, it means she likes you. And it's like, it was the first time I felt like, oh, this is going well. She was real sparse with the compliments, but but that was her way of, of uh, four months in being like, yeah, this is... I like this. I'm vibing with this. And it was like that. It was that sort of roasting where you smile and you're, it's, it's late at night and, and you're sitting real close and you, you throw an insult in someone's face and smile. And it's an act of love. And Max Loring, he always called me the most average server in Seattle. And I think about that now. I think about that now because... You know, because I might be the best server in Grass Valley. Because, like, in the land of the fucking blind, the one-eyed, the average man is king. Which is silly, you know? Being like a medium-sized fish in a big pond and feeling real average and then going to a small pond and just feeling feeling like you're a big boy, but part of your mind, you just know that you're fooling yourself. It's like that thing people say about China, like, <clears throat> if you can't make it in China, you can't make it anywhere. They don't say that, but I wrote that in my novel. Yeah. But so the thing is that Max Loring, he was he's the consummate, consummate American and... Within three times of meeting him, he'll tell you that he makes 120 grand a year and, and he does a double working as, as a server because he's like, I have a degree in teaching and I didn't want to be a teacher. And then he went and um, he goes home from work and he, he does Twitch streaming. And then after a couple of months of doing it, and I felt real competitive with him where I was like, fuck, his Twitch stream is blown up and my podcast is not blown up. But then... He confided in me that that's that was too much. He couldn't do it. Twitch streaming is more of being on stage and finding ways to be entertaining. And it's such an... Like, I've been... There's this one podcast I shouldn't be listening to. It's con called Congratulations. It's by Chris D'Elia, who we tried to cancel because he, he was real... He was making women uncomfortable and stuff. But he... I listen to it sometimes because I find it very interesting to listen to bad people talk about their inner monologue. But he um, talks about this thing of how he works really, really hard at being a comedian, at just being funny. Like his whole mind, all his waking time is working on how to be funny. Like what's a funny way to say something? 
what's something we could do here that would be new, like a new way of being funny. Like not just some hack way of how everyone always tries to be funny the same way in this situation with these, with this setup, you know, with this um, prompt as a response to this thing, you know? And I really relate to that because I think I have always been a pathological people pleaser. And I think early on, I, I was like, okay, so one of the biggest shortcuts if you want to be a pathological people pleaser is to try to be funny. And I really don't see this as a comedy podcast, so I'm really not trying to be funny right now. This is just me doing inner monologue, but inner dialogue. Inner dialogue is when you suffer from disintegration. Um, <clears throat> But I really, there's this exhausting inner work of just constantly being like, someone says something and then you're like, okay, so the funny thing people always say as a response to that is this. And then you're like, okay, so we can't do that because that's what everyone always does. So we have to do something funnier. And then you like take the next level and the next level and the next level. And it's like, it's like really being funny is really hard work. You know what my mind is also doing at all times? because I play like six games of chess on my phone every single day, this whole time as I'm sitting here recording this podcast, I'm just like, just like, Rook takes B5. The horse he goes over there on the pawn, the pawn structure is falling apart. The whole position is falling apart. Pawn structure, pawn structure. The horse he can go there, pawn structure. The horse he can go there. The horse he can go there, and then it can go there, and then it can go there. It's just like my mind is just like, it's actually because I only slept seven and a half hours. I I have this weird thing where I'm sure this has to be universal. When I'm sleep deprived, my mind has this weird way of an engine just running on, not running on empty, but an engine just going in an unstoppable way and just producing like sounds and uncomfortable images. Like if I'm tired enough, it's as if my mind is just producing nonsense language sound inside of my head the whole time. And if I'm a little bit less tired than that, because that's the most tired, but if I'm a little bit less tired than that, there's like weird patterns and images when I close my eyes. And it's super, it's like really prone to be repetitive. And it really, video games really play into it. I've talked about that before where it's like, you play a video game a bunch and then you're sleep deprived. And then in your mind, your mind is just still going with the video game. Your mind is still just clicking, 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 just sending troops over here, sending troops over here. Cause you've been sending troops over here, you know? And in your mind, you're still just sending troops over here. There's this weird spiraling quality to a human mind, to a human consciousness where it's like, if you're always out here serving tables, and then you try to stop, and then every once, every couple of seconds, your mind just spirals around itself and just gets close to that again. And suddenly, you think you're just checking on all your tables again. Every couple of seconds, your mind is just like in your mind's eye. You're just checking on your tables again. It's funny. It's like Chef Eric was telling me that how like 
when we do these big events where you build like fucking a thousand canapes and it's just like one crostini and then a little bit of avocado mousse and then a little bit of blue cheese and then a crispy pig ear and then a fucking microgreen and you build the same seven elements on top in a tiny um, a mousse bouche a tiny mouth tickler a tiny tinier than an hors d'oeuvre you do it a thousand times and then and then when you're done oh you think you're oh you think you're done Oh, you think you're not going to keep doing it? Because, like, you do, you build a thousand tiny amuse bouches with the same seven elements. And then when you're done with the thousandth one, if you turn around, in your mind, you're still like, Christini, avocado mousse. And then you go in the next room and you're like fucking in the bathroom now, and your mind is like, Christini, amuse bouche. And then it's like two days later and you're sleep deprived, and your mind is like, Christini, amuse bouche, avocado mousse. Yeah, and that goes for everything. More than anything, boats. Spend a little bit of time in a boat, and then you're going to be spending a couple more days on a boat after you spend some time in a boat. Let's do the next water. Kiwi strawberry. No, actually, hold on. No, next one we're going to do strawberry watermelon because it's the exact same combo as the previous one. This is Sunny Select. We've never done a Sunny Select. Sunny Select is from Save Mart. Sunny Select is from Save Mart. Sunny Select is the cheap fucking brand from Save Mart. They threw the word select in there, just like signature select, like a ripoff of Safeway shit. But what I find extremely amusing of these um, sparkling waters is that there's a ton of flavors. There's a ton of flavor combos. And then you look at the bottles, and there's this little ugly, terrible logo up top in the middle that says Sunny Select. And on some of the bottles, the graphic designer just forgot to paste the logo in there. So where the logo is supposed to be, there's just a white square. It's like, wow. Thought that only happened in China. Happened in America, too. Oh, strawberry watermelon. Damn, do I kind of just like strawberry watermelon? This might... Dude, that's delicious. Oh, damn. (coughs) Oh, I've been going on some dates with this girl, Madison. And then, like, she um, was trying to make fun of me. She listened to an episode of the podcast. She listened to episode 51 where I talk about how I just go on dates as an addiction thing and she wasn't scared away and instead she made fun of me and and decided to review a a water in a voice message to me on WhatsApp and then she drinks it and I didn't make fun of her for it, but I should have. She does it and she's trying to make fun of me and she, she you can tell how she's choking the whole time from drinking something sparkling the fact that i just now started coughing and and couldn't do it properly reminded me of that because i'm a pro you know like i'm a pro this is episode 91 i've reviewed 300 sparkling waters you know what i'm saying like daddy doesn't fuck around uncle joe kim is a pro but but i wasn't a pro right there this is a 7.5 is not as good as the um signature select strawberry watermelon 
Strawberry watermelon from Sunny Select is slightly worse because it's it's got a little sprinkle of um, artificial sweetener. Like, fuck, man. Sometimes artificial sweetener tastes like fucking um, powdered creamer, powdered coffee creamer. I just went to an AA meeting at noon just now, and I, I just ro- literally rolled out of bed. Was looking forward to... I went to Wendy's yesterday at midnight because I was starving. And I, I get two burgers and then I ask him for a cold brew. Because I was going to just take a cold brew, bring it home, put it in the fridge, drink it in the morning. And then he's like, it's this Mexican guy taking my order. And he literally didn't understand what I meant. And it's like literally right there on the menu. Now look, if an American-American were to be pissed off as a, at a Mexican dude for not taking orders properly, that would be racist as fuck. But I'm a recent immigrant, so I'm allowed to. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just saying, bro, it's like on your menu, dude. Like, I don't expect you to be able to do small talk with me. It's all good. But like, here's the menu. Learn the words on this piece of thing so I can order the things. <laughs> because I was trying to order a cold brew. And then I had to like explain and be like, you know, coffee, like coffee, like cold coffee. And then he got me an iced coffee. And iced coffee and cold brew, they serve both. I wanted cold brew. He got me an iced coffee. And I was like, bro, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Your English isn't that good and it's all good. I'll pay for this iced coffee. I'll pour it straight in the trash, and we're good. No hard feelings, you know? I'm just happy you're here. It's all good. But I went home. I I scooped the ice out so the ice wouldn't melt overnight and so that it wouldn't suck. And then I put it in the fridge, not believing in this project at all. Really believing in the project of a hypothetical cold brew would be awesome the next day. Believing in that. But then this iced coffee from Wendy's ordered at midnight, scooping the ice out of it, putting it in the fridge, thinking I'm going to drink it in the morning, not believing in it, but doing it anyway. And then I wake up, roll out of bed, take one sip, the worst sip I've ever had of any coffee ever. I mean, it was bad. So I take one sip and I poured it straight in the trash. And I'm like, bro, yeah, I don't know. So racist. Insert insert random Mexican name and referring to the guy yesterday. So racist. Um, yeah. Anyway. Point is, instead I rolled out of bed, w- went to an AA meeting, um, poured myself a cup of dark Dude, AA, AA coffee is dark and it is strong and it is horrible. <laughs> and we never have creamer. We only have powdered creamer. And you pour that in there and man, powdered creamer is crazy. Powdered creamer, man. Like, oh man. I hate, I don't know. It's not good. But yeah, um, this Sunny Select here tastes a little bit like they poured powdered creamer in there. But it's all good. still pretty good. Here's a boring thing that I was thinking about today. It's interesting to me how one of the biggest part of the entire economy is real estate. Like a third of everyone's money at all times goes to them paying rent for where they live. 
And then anything you buy, a fucking third of anything you buy, the money of that is going to the rent of the fucking warehouse of where the thing was. Like just real estate is like half of the fucking economy. Just land, just the price of land, the price of buildings. Someone owns them, someone rents them. They're always being rented, rent. How random is it that in this enormous, like everything in finance is so specific and everything is so down to the decimal and everything has this like insane exactitude to it and everything is like if we could milk one more dollar out of this trillion dollar project, everything is like that. But then real estate, which is like half of the entire economy, the way we've set it up is that you pay rent by month and each month is a different length. Like, how fucking random is that? How fucking random is it that some months I pay rent once and I get paid three times because I get paid every two weeks? Like, how random is it that sometimes you're paying the same amount of rent for 28 days and sometimes for 31 days? And it's like this random fucking pick and mix bag of Swedish candy. Like, what an inexact way to deal with the biggest part of the economy that is being dealt with with people who are the most exact people. Because, like, say what you will about the free market, but the free market will think of anything. And the free market will... If more exactness could get more dollars out of something, you'll get more exactness. (coughs) Yeah. I don't know. That's a boring thing I was thinking about today. So next one here, watermelon kiwi. And then we have a strawberry kiwi. So it's a mix of all these different three flavors. So we're doing watermelon kiwi. Kiwi. Sorry, a little bit of Swede came out there. Excuse me. We don't have W in Swedish. It's funny because we do, we have the letter, but W has the same sound. I ha- There's absolutely zero chance that I haven't already said exactly this sentence on the podcast. But in Swedish, we have the letter W, but it's only for decoration. It's the same pronunciation as V. We call it double V, and it's just pronounced like V. And my mother, being a basic bitch back in the day, decided when she was a teenager that she was, her name is Eva, E-V-A. She decided as a teenager, you know what? I'm going to spruce it up. I'm going to start spelling my name with a W. Same same pronunciation. Not understanding that W in some places is a different pronunciation. Doing, she went full Swede and just did W as decoration on her own name. And then I think she legally, like, when she got married is probably when she changed it because legally her name is definitely with a W. I wonder if that's common. Let's give it a little smell. Ooh, that's kiwi forward. You know what's what else people don't talk about enough? Kiwi. So <clears throat> I was just talking about how watermelon is a underrated flavor of kombucha. My <clears throat> Japanese stepbrother back in the old country, Simon, he makes his own kombucha. He's a little bit of a booch daddy just like me. Um, I'm a former, I'm an ex-booch daddy. Um, and he always told me that 
the thing that people don't do that they should do is kiwi. Kiwi flavored kombucha is dank, is what he told me. And then I'm in Seattle, I'm a booch daddy. I couldn't find kiwi at Safeway. I find myself in this farmer's market. I think I was actually on a first date and I was trying to impress this girl by buying something interesting. Now I feel like, um, now I feel like a bitch. Now I feel like a fuckboy because I was recently, me and Madison went on a, it was actually a fucking first date. First time we ever met, we just meandered through a farmer's market. And now I feel like I'm that fucking asshole guy in the Olivia Rodrigo song, Deja Vu. Where the guy just does the same stuff with all the different girls, not telling them that he does the same stuff with all the girls. Telling the same jokes. And that's my biggest fear. And I think one of the solutions is to, in the moment, be like, hey, I've actually been on a farmer's market on a first date before. You know, just want you to know, I'm not pretending here. I'm a straight shooter, respected on either side of the aisle. So what I did was, maybe two years ago, I'm on a first date in Seattle. I'm at a farmer's market. And what I buy is kiwi berry because it has the word kiwi right there. And they're small kiwis. And I asked the seller, like, hey, you think I can make kombucha out of this? And the seller is, like, trying to... The seller is jaded, you know? The seller is having to deal with all these fucking people wanting to... Like, bro, you just want to sell your vegetables, you know? And you just want people to buy them and shut the fuck up. And you're at a farmer's market to everyone. It's so fucking talkative. And then you're confronted with some fucking asshole Swede buying kiwi berries, asking if this fucking hipster can make kombucha out of some kiwi berry. And I did, and it was gross. Spoiler alert. Mad tasty watermelon kiwi. That's crazy tasting. That's crazy. That is so wild because it's it's a CBD drink. <clears throat> so it's got this... Um, it has 20 milligrams of hemp extract and that is just fucking crazy tasting because it tastes a little bit like mulch and kiwi, especially the peel, but all of the kiwi also tastes a little bit like dirt. It's behind lots of acidity. Kiwi is mostly a lot of acidity. And a little bit of sweetness. But then it's got this hairy peel, this skin with dirt flavor. That's a crazy flavor. Like, the watermelon is really doing a backseat thing here. Where, in the front seat of the car, it's mostly just a, a couple of shovelfuls of dirt. Yeah, that's that's not that's not beginner water, that's for sure. Okay, I'm going to do this other thing now that I actually prepared for that I printed on this piece of paper. So when, um, oh, I'm so fucking self-conscious right now. When chef's brother and wife and parents came in for dinner. Oh, God. 
I feel so self-conscious talking about my podcast at work. And then, hmm, I just wish I could be this Max Loring type character that's like, I'm there in that moment talking about it comfortably, and then I'm here in this moment talking about that comfortably, and I just enjoy comfort at all times. But really, I suffer from what Carl Jung calls disintegration, where I haven't integrated my anima, and... I am multiple different people, and the person I am when I'm alone in my closet recording this podcast is a very vulnerable, small man. Best case scenario, I am a wonderful little man. Out there, I try to be a big man, but in here, I am a small man. I guess what I'm saying is just like, where can I find, I have to ask, I have to ask Chef where he, where he found such a wonderful wife. I just want to find a wonderful wife like that, you know? You can just tell that she's funny. You can just tell that she's hilarious. And honestly, hilarious is the most underrated quality in wife. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think hilarious is probably the most important quality. Hilarious and horny. It's the only two things that are non-negotiable. Like, I'll take literally any red flag if I can just deal with hilarious and horny. horny. Like, I'll take homeless, you know? I'll take... Uh, <laughs> so inappropriate in the context of what I was saying. Anyway, let's talk about Luke instead. So, um, chef's brother's name is Luke. He's the dishwasher at Holbrook. He is one of the most important parts of the entire operation because having a dishwasher that cares a little bit is... So difficult to find. God, it's good that people are different, huh? Because like me, I'm like some sort of social addict. So I have to be in a job where I'm like jumping around on different social frequencies. And that's not what the dishwasher job is. And it's just so good that we have different things that we like. So Luke told me that I have to on the podcast talk about food pairing with the two wings. So at Holbrook, here's what I'll say fucking first. I fucking hate chicken wings. Chicken wings is a bullshit trailer trash dish for mouth breathers who don't give a shit about anything, lobotomized motherfuckers who walk across the street and their fucking knuckles are dragging on the ground as they cross the street. That's who eats chicken wings, okay? Now that's an obvious take. Like... You could have asked a hundred podcast listeners, except I only have about 80 listeners. So you could have asked all 80 of my listeners what I think about chicken wing eaters. And and they'd all be like, he probably looks down on them because he's a, he's an insufferable um, inferiority complex, pretentious European, aspiring pretentious European. But the thing is, at Holbrook, we serve chicken wings, and they're fucking awesome. 
Chef built his own smoker out back. We smoke them in-house. We smoke them hard. The smoky, beautiful flavor really permeates the flesh. And then they come in two flavors. They come tossed either in a barbecue sauce. It's a South Carolina-style barbecue sauce. Chef says, don't sleep on it. Or honey habanero. People always ask me if it's super spicy. It's not spicy at all. It's just sweet. It's very honey forward. It's sweet. The sweetness with the smokiness. These wings are absolutely wonderful. They come with a choice of dip, either blue cheese. The blue cheese is very straightforward. There we are really not doing anything experimental. It's just a good homemade blue cheese dressing that you dip your wing in or buttermilk basil. Buttermilk is what goes in ranch. So really it's ranch, but you don't want to use the word ranch because let's have some self-respect. Like let's have a modicum of self-respect left, left, you know? Like, no one who has read the Joan Didion Vogue piece, self-respect, its origin, its power, can ever use the word ranch. So, we call it buttermilk basil because it's buttermilk-based, and we got hella basil in there, and it's fresh. And my first week at Holbrook... We were all training and we were all testing each other and we were all learning how to describe things. And I said, how do you describe the buttermilk basil? And I said, it's like ranch that studied abroad. And everyone laughed and I have since then reinvented, I have recycled that joke probably a thousand times. Nah, honestly, uh, completely honestly, I've probably recycled that joke. I probably said that exact same joke 25 times. Because I am terrified of repeating myself. I'm terrified of being the guy who takes every girl on a first date to a farmer's market. And every time she thinks it's unique. And every time it's the exact same. But he's just repeating himself. I'm My biggest fear is being that guy. And so I only will say it's ranch that studied abroad. If I am one thousand percent certain that no one within earshot has heard it before. It's the only time I'll say it. So I'll have to be completely sure that none of my coworkers are in the room when a a guest asks, hey, what the fuck is buttermilk basil? Someone asks, what's buttermilk basil? And I say, hold on. And I just like do a 360. I look around. I look around the corner. I close all the doors. And then I say, it's ranch that did like a semester in France. And then everyone laughs. Haha, it's a good time. Didn't know I was in the section of a fucking comedian with a nasal voice. That's something I'd love to see, like a little bit of a correlation. Like, good server, nasal voice. I think some of the best servers have nasal voices. We just hired this girl, Tiffany. God damn, she's got a nasal voice. And God damn, she's good and she reminds me of myself. Because her first week, she's already pointing out shit that we're not doing properly. And I'm like, fuck, that's like me, bro. I was being trained and people are telling me how to do it in my head. I'm like, whoa, that's not how you do it. But I can't say that yet because you're training me. I have to wait two weeks before I can put myself above you and tell you what to do. So we have these two wings. They're both wonderful. The problem, though, is that Chef 
feels butthurt that the barbecue doesn't sell as well as the honey habanero, and he's pissed that we don't push it at, at much. And he's like, don't sleep on the on the barbecue. It's South Carolina style. Wham, wham, my name is Chef. I want you all to sell barbecue wings. The thing is, and now I'm quoting Hannah. Why fuck with perfection? The honey habanero is fucking perfect. Like the barbecue is good, but why fuck with perfection, bro? The honey habanero is perfect. It's so fucking good. So what Luke told me is like, you gotta, you gotta give us some, some. He was like, hey, what's a good sparkling water to pair with the wings? And then I go to respond, and he goes, save it for the pod. And save it for the pod is one of the funniest things. It's one of the funniest ways. <laughs> it's one of the funniest ways you can skewer Joe Ekimerickson. Because it is like you are taking a long needle, like a long knitting needle, and you look into the psyche of Joe Ekimerickson, and you take every single insecurity I have. Each insecurity here is pictured, portrayed as a little piece of meat. And you take this long skewer, this long knitting needle, and you look into my psyche and you take every single insecurity and you thread every single insecurity on one single skewer. Like you hit every single insecurity in my psyche with one single dis. Oh, fuck. It's so good. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. It hits me everywhere. Every single bit of soft tissue I have... It's like one of those Bruce Lee moves where you like stand and you have your fist one inch from from the chest of your opponent and then the opponent doesn't even see you move but but it, it in like um super slow-mo photography you can see how he's actually moving around and he's punching you really hard in all of your soft spots in one move in just one move Happen. The audience doesn't notice a thing. It's like in. It's over in a flash. You just say, "Save it for the pod." It's over in a flash, and Joachim has been hurt in every single sensitive area. It's like, oh god, Luke just took both of my gonads and just thread them on a fucking, on a fucking sewing needle, on a knitting needle. Thinly fucking sliced testicles. He just took my testicles and just run him, ran them back and forth on a mandolin. That's how they do it in China. They they take bull testicle and they just raw bull testicle and they just uh, slice it super super thin on on what's called a mandolin that slices things super thin, straight into boiling soup, and it just lets the the residual heat of the soup already in the boil cook the raw fucking thin slice of bull testicle. I think it's just called war. They just call it ball. You know? Can't remember how to say bull. Might just be new war. You know? Bull ball. It's a good add-on in a soup noodle. Huevo, you know? So, I Luke asked me how to what pairings to do for the for the <laughs> with the wings sparkling water pairing suggestion for the wings, and then he says save it for the pod, and then I'm immediately skewered and devastated, and he has completely dominated me. And then Luke's very charming wife 
I mean, no, not Luke's very charming wife. Chef's very charming wife. That it clearly... Why is my Alexa... Hey, Alexa, what's my notification? One new notification. From Amazon, U.S. National Weather Service has issued an excessive heat watch for Nevada City. It'll be in effect from June 10, 11 a.m. PDT until June 10, 10 p.m. Okay. Shit's about to get hot. Luke skewered me and he said, save it for the pod. And then um, Chef's very charming wife that this whole episode, it sounds like I have a crush on her. But it's all good. Um, It's out of respect. Um, She's like, oh yeah, episode 91. So that's where we are right now. This is episode 91. We're about an hour and 25 minutes in. And I'm now about to tell you sparkling water suggestions for... First of all, listen. If you're listening to this, you should call in an order, bro. Call in an order. Maybe call in two orders of wings. Get one of each. One tossed in honey habanero, one in barbecue. These are the best wings you'll ever have. And then, if you're looking for sparkling water suggestions to pair with them, here's here's what I'd say. Um, The honey habanero, the sweetness of honey is so wonderful with... Um, warming, nice spices like cinnamon and nutmeg and these like sort of Christmas spices. So I would really recommend either cinnamon from Bitter Housewife or reishi. Excuse me, I had a little sparkling water burp there. Um, Sparkling Botanicals by Rishi is a sparkling water thing that we reviewed fucking 50 episodes ago. And... um, it's a tea brand that we now actually um, have at the Holbrook. We have a masala chai from Rishi. Um, they have two flavors that are really good and bitter and weird. A grapefruit, quince, and shisandra berry are the two good ones. That shisandra berry, I've talked about multiple times. It's it's this one berry that's in Chinese is called a five flavor berry because it's the, like the only naturally occurring thing in nature that just has every single flavor baked into it. It's got bitterness and sweetness and umami. It's like savory and weird and tangy. And it's just got everything sour and sweet and just everything. And when they turn it into a beverage, Sparkling Botanicals by Rishi. It's um, a journey where the flavors come at you one at a time, not all at the same time. And you take a sip and it's like this journey. It's like just shoving your head through a bunch of different buckets of shit. I mean, it's it's crazy. And then the barbecue wings. Um, it's hard. Either I would just go... LaCroix lemon or LaCroix grapefruit or LaCroix tangerine, like one of the just nice, refreshing, crisp citrus LaCroix just because they're fresh and like the barbecue is so big. Or I would do the food pairing, the, the age old adage of if it grows together, it goes together. And because it's a South Carolina style barbecue, I would recommend a South Carolina sparkling water which is um summit seltzer that i'm trying to get water from it's the first seltzery in south carolina trying to get i don't know 
I don't know. I'm trying to get some water from Summit Seltzer. What else is going on? I don't know. I mean, there is another thing I could talk about, but it's it's weird. I think maybe this episode is long enough, but... I was just... amazed... at what a different person I am now compared to before I got sober because one big thing when before I got sober is that I... Uh, Let's drink another water. One big thing before I got sober is I always existed in opposition to my job. I was always living in conflict with my job. I always... The job was always something that was the negative and the stuff outside of my life was the positive. Let's try this. Sunny Select Kiwi Strawberry. Yeah, so that does not work. That's a 3 out of 10. The kiwi, out of all these three flavors, watermelon, kiwi, strawberry, kiwi strawberry is what doesn't work because it's too much, too tart. Both kiwi and strawberry... They sound like these nice, sweet, approachable fruits, but they're actually super, um, secretly super tart, both of them. So this is just super tart. And then to counteract the super tartness, they've just loaded her up with artificial sweetener, which is an awful thing. Like, that does not balance out. That's a, that's a two out of ten. So before I got sober, I always existed in, in opposition to my job, and <clears throat> it was always like, I'm at midnight and I'm partying and I'm like, fuck, I got to go to work in the morning. And I keep pushing the party because the party is the good thing. And there's this clear yin yang quality to life where like there are these deep, deep troughs and these aspirational peaks that are never that great. These like disappointing peaks and these impressive troughs. That's the adjectives I would like to throw in there. Like the peaks were never as big as I wanted them to be. Those parties were never worth it. And then the troughs were always mind-bogglingly darker than I thought. The day after a bunch of MDMA was always way more existential than I was expecting. And now, in sobriety... It's easy to let go of all of that and to realize that it's not a zero-sum thing where, like, you can have this thing where work is actually the positive part of your life. And that doesn't even have to mean that off work, like, that your time off work is the negative part. Like, it's, I enjoy, I I enjoy putting a lot of myself into the work and then the work becomes pleasant and then it becomes more pleasant to put more of myself into the work to the point where yesterday at at 1 a.m. I, I emailed Chef and I was like asking like which metrics should servers be thinking about in terms of maximizing sales. And then I want to get in on into the computers and produce like weekly a weekly stats thing where it's like, how are your dessert sales in 
compared to your overall sales? Are you pushing desserts? And the thing about that is like the mind boggling thing about it is that that's such a like incredibly off putting corporate suggestion. It's like disgusting in corporate, but maybe corporate people are the people who have life figured out. Maybe they are the people existing in true meditative equanimity and harmony. Maybe, maybe corporate is the last slur that we need to give up on. Because that's actually the goal. Maybe the Buddha sitting under the tree in like this <clears throat> lotus position and he has no blood in his legs because he's been sitting in lotus position all day meditating. Maybe he's corporate. Maybe he's visiting from corporate. Maybe he's upper management. Maybe if the Buddha lived today, he'd be upper management. Because I don't think he'd be fucking... I don't think he'd be a dirty face raver, you know? I don't think he'd... I don't think he'd had, have dreads. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Because I do just still view myself as this loser. It still, it takes years to unteach a lifetime of hating your job and thinking that it's cool to hate your job. Like I do still identify with all the people hating their jobs at, at work, hating their jobs. But, but, but it's like, it's like slow-mo footage of a cell dividing or something where like I am. I don't know. I'm also becoming a different person where I find myself being very comfortable arguing with people who hate their jobs and winning the argument and explaining why they're wrong and explaining why what we do here is actually nice and it's nice to care. And if you're doing a shit job, you're really just talking shit about yourself. Like if you think it's cool to do a shit job, then... The only person you're sabotaging is yourself. Because we're just going to fucking demote you, bro. But yeah, things are going very well. I don't know. Completely emotionally flat. Just trying to be a wonderful little man. Haven't had any emotion for 12 hours. Haven't had any emotion for a few days. But that's all right. I'm going to go to the movies tonight and see that Leah Sado movie. All right. I love you guys. I don't think that anyone is listening. And that's okay. Thank you. <laughs>